Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. As we commemorate this holy week, or known as Passion Week, it is said that upon the events of this holy week, that the Christian faith rests. But I want you to turn with me, please, if you have your Bibles, to Luke 22. In preparation for Passover, the Lord sent His disciples to go and meet a certain man carrying a jar of water. Well, you ask yourself, there are probably hundreds of people carrying jars of water, but you see... Back then, only women carried jars of water. So a man who's carrying a jar of water is going to stand out in the crowd like a sore thumb. And the Lord said, you find him, give him the password. The teacher asked, where is the guest room? And the man will take you there. And then when the Lord met with the disciples for this Passover meal, he said in verse 15, look at it, 22:15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. From the Old Testament reading, we know what Passover is. It was the time when Israel supposed to commemorate, to remember their salvation out of Egypt and out of the slavery into the promised land. Jesus and His disciples, being good Orthodox Jews, knew all the details about the Passover meal they're about to eat. But this was not going to be just another Passover meal. This was going to be Jesus' last Passover meal. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Or there are at least three reasons why Jesus wanted so eagerly to eat this Passover meal with His disciples. First, because in Christ, the Passover had reached its end. As of that week, that holy week, Passover had found its fulfillment in Christ. As of that holy week, Passover has found its full meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Mosaic Covenant, the Covenant of Moses, had changed the slaves of Egypt to being the servants of the living God. Now that gives way to a new covenant that will take the servants of the living God and make them sons and daughters of the living God. And the Apostle Paul said, If children then heirs and heirs of God joint heirs with Christ. The Passover which they commemorated by remembering how in Egypt they had to put blood on the posts of their houses and the doors of their houses so that the angel can come by and he says, I'll see the blood and I'll pass. And so the firstborn of everyone in the Egyptian community were dead in the morning, but the sons of the children of God, they were alive. Now that Passover passing over the houses that have the blood on them, gives way to the Lamb of God who will sprinkle His blood on the cross 
so that only by His blood you and I are saved. Only by His blood you and I can go from hell to heaven. Only in the blood of Christ that our destiny is changed. Until you sprinkle the blood of Jesus Christ upon the posts of your homes, you will give Satan opportunity to come, to steal, and to plunder. That week long ago, the efficacy of the Passover celebration gave way to the cross. The shadow has become a reality. The symbol has reached its full meaning. The tutor is now handing the son over to the father. The temporal steps aside so the permanent can come in. The moon pushes out so that the sun can shine. In Jesus, Passover has ended. But secondly, he was eager to have this meal with them. This Passover meal because he wanted to prepare them for the coming events of the next day. Isn't it like Jesus who gives you grace to bear before you get to bear what you're about to bear. (laughs) He thinks of us before we think of ourselves. He's about to hang on that cross and be separated from the Father for the first time ever since eternity. And he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of them. So he was having this meal in order to comfort them because he knew that the fear is going to get the best of them. He is the one who needs to be comforted. He is the one who needs to receive encouragement. But he said to them, I was eager to eat this meal with you, this last Passover, before I suffer. He wanted to comfort them before he suffers. Before darkness ever falls upon your life, your Jesus puts a lamp in your hand to show you the way. I was eager to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He sees you stumble before you do. He sees you blowing it before you do. He sees and feels your fears before you experience them. He sees and feels your grief before you do. He senses your anxiety before you do. He's always ready to restore your joy before you lose it. What a great God. What a great God. And He comes to you and He comes to me and said, I eagerly desire to sup with you and be with you and spend time with you. But you're in such a hurry all the time. You're leaving me out of your life all the time. I want to come. I want to fellowship with you. But then the third reason for his desire to eat this Passover meal with them was to establish this memorial for time and eternity. One of the dangers of celebrating communion every Sunday is that we fall into the rut of routinism, that we take it for granted. Familiarity, people say, breeds contempt, or at least it breeds Coldness. It can breed cynicism. It really does. And that's one of the great dangers. I pray every day to receive a fresh word from the Lord and do things as the Lord leads rather than doing and following the book. And in the Lord's insistence on that supper, that it is not a ceremony just you get hooked on the symbolism of it, but rather that we may feel the depth of its meaning. The Lord institution of the communion, not so that we may haggle about the details of it or what form it should take place. No, that we may be stricken in our hearts as we come remembering the blood of the pure Son of God was poured on the cross for you and for me. In fact, the way we celebrate communion right now 
It's not the way the early church celebrated it at all. It has nothing to do with that. The Greek word means they got together and had a good hearty meal. <laughs> in fact, some of them were gluttons and they were eating too much in the Corinthians. And Paul said, don't you have homes to eat in? But what the Lord is anxious to establish on that day, what the Lord is anxious for us to remember, is not the method by which we use. It's not the method by which we receive communion. It is not the outward observance of the minutest detail of it. It is not even the frequency of it. But what he is anxious for us to do is to remember and be conscious of what it meant for that holy Son of God to die for you and for me. This is my body, he said to them, given for you. And I want you to remember that every time you have a meal together. You know, my father-in-law, Mr. Bailey, gave us an old pocket watch before he died. I don't think it has much monetary value in it. But every time I look at that watch, I remember Mr. Bailey. I remember his generous spirit. I remember his servant heart. I remember his kindness. I remember his gentleness. That's what it does every time I see that watch. Sometimes when I look at that watch, it brings both a smile and a tear. For he went to be with the Lord on Easter Monday, 1986. He was having his devotion from Revelation chapter 5, and he went to be with the Lord. The Lord's Supper is like that, but even more. It is solemn, but it causes us to rejoice. And the disciples, I assure you, can never, ever, ever again have another meal without thinking of the Last Supper with Jesus. They remembered the deep feelings of it. They remembered the strong emotions of it. They remembered the haunting fear of it. Oh yes, but they also remembered the faint hope. Now our remembrance might not be that intense because we were not physically there. But it can be a time of intense joy. It can be a time of intense gratitude to God for what He has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Because Jesus said, remember that my body was mutilated on that cross so that your body be whole. My blood poured in that cross so that you may be cleansed by my blood. What a day. On that incredible week, Jesus gave his followers a new act of celebration. He gave them a new act of remembrance. He gave them a new act of anticipation. It's interesting that Luke goes immediately after Jesus speaks about the covenant. He goes straight and talks about the one disciples who would betray him. Look at it in the text. And he meant Judas, of course. In Matthew account, goes like this. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. In this very night, you all will fall away on the account of me. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Judas's act, make no mistake about it, is an outrageous act of betrayal. But it is no more act of betrayal than Peter's act of betrayal, than Thomas's act of denial. But the difference is, Judas did not repent. They did. Listen to me, please, very carefully. You might feel that you have failed the Lord in your life. You might feel that you have failed your family in your life. You might feel that you have failed your friends in your life. You might feel that you have failed your spouse in your life. 
What I can announce to you with absolute certainty is that you can take that failure to the cross and the blood of Jesus can cleanse you today. And then you can leave like Judas without an act of repentance. And that would be a tragedy. But I don't want you to miss verse 24 of Luke 22. Don't miss it. It's an important verse. (laughs) There are people in this world who seem to think that the entire universe revolves around them. You know somebody like this? Don't look at your wife, man. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, with all seriousness, there is such self-centeredness that people cannot see beyond their skin. These are the folks who are constantly trying to push their agenda. They are constantly complaining and moaning and moping and demanding attention. They are constantly angling to show how spiritual they are. They are often oblivion to the big picture of God's salvation. But that doesn't matter as long as their needs are met. I want to give you an illustration on that verse before I even get to it. There in that verse... The writer says that there's an argument arose among them. Just Jesus finished giving him communion. <laughs> and an argument arose. <laughs> what was the argument? Who is greater in the kingdom? <laughs> Some time ago I read the story about Look magazine. You know the magazine Look? One day that magazine was going under. Financially, it was absolutely in the pits and they're about to close the doors. So the management thought it would be a good idea to bring the staff together and let them know. That they're about to lose their jobs and the door's about to close. So the president of the company spoke and talked about the financial disaster they're in and told them about the problems they're facing and how they're about to close the doors and they're all going to lose their jobs. And then he said, does anybody have a question here? Well, one secretary raised her hand. She said, "Uh, I have one question. Why doesn't the coffee wagon come to the 13th floor anymore? (laughs) Something like that happened. In that upper room. Jesus spoke with deep pathos about his coming suffering. Jesus had just graced his disciples with a new symbol for remembering and receiving the faith. Jesus had just expressed the tragedy of the traitor's work. And the feelings in the upper room were raw with numbness. But what happened? Verse 24, a dispute arose among them to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You know, I have asked myself at least a thousand times. I'm an, I'm an evangelist and I exaggerate, but, that's, but you'll understand the point. I asked myself that question. How could Jesus have stood such immaturity? How could he have stood such insult? You want to know the answer I came up with? Not very profound. It's because he's Jesus. And thank Jesus, he is who he is. And there are people in churches who will murmur and complain and criticize and be discontented even if Jesus was their pastor. I don't hear too many amens there. Here, on the very eve of his death, here at the very eve of the day that will change the world forever, here, On the eve of that day, they will change the eternal destiny of tens of millions throughout countless generations. And what some of these folks are doing is playing a game 
of power struggle. Who's going to have more influence? Who's going to be in control? Who's going to be the big shot? It's like that secretary asking for the coffee wagon when the company is about to go under. Listen to me, please, because that is the burden of my heart. When I see what goes on, it tears me up. We're seeing the church at large becoming an apostate church. Preachers are falling in sin like flies. Ministries are folding up. Millions are dying and going to hell every day. Our nation seems to be heading into the hell hole of socialism. And so many believers, spirit-filled, what they're doing is they're wasting their time jockeying for position and for power. And they're being sidetracked by their blind, selfish ambitions. The charismatics are fighting with the evangelicals, and the evangelicals fighting with the fundamentalists, and everybody fighting with everybody, and the dispensationalists fighting with the premillennialists, and the amillennialists fighting with everybody. People! And we complain why God is not blessing America. We complain what's happening to our nation. And until you and I go on our knees and seek God and His glory, not ours, He will not bless us. How often we try to get sidetracked from what is holy and what is eternal by the trivia and the superficial of life. How many of us get sidetracked after great worship experience? You go out in your car and you have a fight on your way home. How many of us get sidetracked and forget our eternal destiny and focus on the trash of life? How many of us get sidetracked about our priestly position, our princely position, and give in in a moment of uncontrolled desire? How many churches get sidetracked from their vision, from God-given mission, by the few self-centered, the loud voices and congregations given to them? How many? I'll tell you a story, true story. In a southern town, a visitor came, and he saw... An advertisement in the restaurant section about a restaurant that was called the Church of God Grill. Well, the visitor was really fascinated by that. I mean, that really piqued his interest. And he couldn't care less about the food or whether he goes there or not, but he said, I want to call and find out. So he called the phone number. His friendly voice on the other side says, hello, the Church of God Grill. And the caller said, Please forgive me for interrupting you. I'm not interested in coming and eating, but I want to know how this name came about. So she told him the story. He said, well, we had a church down here, and we started serving chicken dinners after church on Sunday just to help pay the bills. Well, said, people like the chicken, and we did such a good business, eventually we had to cut back on the church services. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving chicken. (laughs) And that is how we kept the name what started with, to be the name of our restaurant, the Church of God Grill. (laughs) The chicken stayed and the church gone. Do you know that there are tens of church buildings, tens of them, in England, a sold Either Muslims will buy them and turn them into mosques or turn into businesses because people are no longer coming to the church and the Church of England no longer can afford keeping the upkeep on them. They're literally, some of them are given away. I don't know what that does to you. I know I can't carry everybody's burden and I'm not trying to, but I'm called to stand in the gap and pray for the kingdom of God. The disciples were scrambling about who's the greatest. 
And Jesus was about to be put on a mock trial, be killed like a criminal. How could Jesus even answer that question? And yet John tells us that the way he answered that question is that he put a towel around his waist, he brought a basin, and began to wash the dirty feet. That's how he answered it, according to John. But here in Luke, he also answers it. He said, do you want to see genuine greatness? It's not eloquent words. It's not mere brilliant ideas. It is not using sanctimonious dribble and the language of Zion. But it's serving. It's serving. It's serving. So in verses 25 all the way to 27, he said to them, he said, the pagans lord it over people. That's what they do. In the secular world, dog eat dog. That's their motto. In the secular world, it is who can get whom first. In the secular world, you get him before he gets you. In the secular world, look out for number one. In the secular world, who is going to dominate whom? But not with me and my kingdom, says Jesus. Not with me and my church. It should not be the case. It will not be the case. A hunter tells a story of how a great deer hound, which set off one morning for chasing a magnificent buck. A few minutes later into the chase, a fox crossed his path, and the hound veered off after the fox. A little later, a rabbit crossed his path, and the hound very soon bearing after the rabbit. Then a squirrel crossed his path, and the dog pounded after the squirrel. And finally, a field mouse crossed his path, and the hound chased it into its burrow. The deer hound began chasing a great buck and ended up watching a mouse hole. Is this your spiritual condition today in this holy week? Have you begun your spiritual life on high planes, but you got sidetracked and went from a buck to a mouse? I believe the Lord would want to restore your spiritual passion on this Passion Week. Are you a person whom the Lord has been saying, I am eager to sup with you, and you're focusing so much on yourself you can't have time for Him? I believe the Lord is inviting you today to turn to Him, That he might come into your life and sup with you. The Lord is not impressed with the hours you spend in ministry. As much as he longs for you to spend hours with him. The Lord is not as anxious for you to display your biblical knowledge. As much as he wants you to apply this biblical knowledge in your life. The Lord Jesus is not impressed with your plan, your program and your vision. As much as he's eager for you to know his vision for your life. I implore you as we come to the Lord in prayer, don't let the enemy sidetrack you. Say, you've got plenty of time to do these things. You're doing okay as it is. Say, God, speak to me today. I want to hear you, not yourself. I want to hear your voice speak to me. Let the Holy Spirit speak to the depth of your heart today. Father God, as I stand before you, not as a preacher, but as a chief sinner, Lord, you know of my failure and my frailty, but I know that I'm covered with the blood of Christ. I pray that your righteousness would cover your people, that you will receive the genuine repentance, 
that you will accept the turning hearts. Father, I pray that you will forgive us and that you renew us, that our spiritual passion be rekindled. For I pray that in that mighty name, the name that's above every name, the name that is given to men only to be saved, the name for whom every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus, that is the name. For his sake I pray, amen. Amen. 